but <laughs> this doesn't seem like fun. Um, so I have decided to do a little reading, I think. Um, starting with a little poetry. There is a poem with which I really identify, and I'm I almost always almost forget the name of both the poem and the poet. Here, let me try to do this a little differently, and I'm gonna make some more some noise, and so I, it's probably pretty good that it's just me here for the moment, because I just want to I want to bend my mic towards me a little bit and in order to do that to move some things around a bit and that will help me to feel a little more like hello sorry i'm fiddling so i can't see who came in apologies for the noise I'm just resetting up my phone so that I can, I can, I can speak more easily. Um, so I'm awake because, why am I awake? I always like to, I always get like to get really, really coy about it for whatever reason. I haven't learned how to talk about it yet. That's the main reason. Um, I'm awake because of PTSD and that's why. See, that wasn't hard. I just had to say the word. Uh, and so I am still not, I slept for a while and then I woke up around three thinking I was going to be going back to sleep pretty quickly. And that just didn't happen. So I decided to listen to some things. And nobody was really talking about anything that I wanted to listen to this early. Hey, Sarita. Nice to see you again. <laughs> I've seen you in one of mine before, I feel like. Um, and so I decided to make it about like reading some things. I'm I'm reading. I'm starting with a poem by M.K. Wilde, I think her name is, or is it Katrina Wilde? I don't have her work. Uh, like I don't have, I don't have a, a poem, a book of her poetry. So basically, it's me hunting the internet until I can find her uh, her poem about that. I feel like it describes me, but I also feel like it probably describes a lot of women. Uh, and I don't want to give it away because the last line is a doozy. And I feel like if I, if I say it, it will ruin the rest of the poem. Ah, here we go. 
It is written by, yeah, MK Wild. Why didn't it show up right away when I was looking for it? I do not know. Oh, I have a guest waiting. Hi, Jason. Come on up. So, TGITD. Thank God it's a second. Listen, I wanted to thank you, first of all, and I love poetry, so I'm open. I would love to hear it. And I wanted to thank you. This is a big deal. You were the first person that actually told me that I'm probably not even at this stage that I'm ready for a, a relationship. And I know that it is true. And this is exceptional because at 46, the reason why I understand it's not that the other people are not, you know, don't have any wisdom and, and, and it, you know, but I understand why they wouldn't think that because who would think that at 46, I'm not ready. It doesn't make sense in a way, if you just look at the age, mm -hmm. right? There's over 15,000 singles in my group most of them are women i don't know the exact stat but most of them are women so say there's fourteen thousand something women that are single that share my values and for people that don't know yeah i'm christian so it's christian singles so most people they say you must be gay or something like what are you talking about like or you're too picky or something or you know they try to say that something is wrong with me so i get attacked a lot there was even a minister on clubhouse and it said title minister i don't even know i think some people said their ministry is citizen minister but it said minister okay i don't know anybody i think everybody's a minister anyway it's just a question of what, what your ministry is right like oh god look even Hitler was a different kind of minister. Okay. So the thing is, I, you know, I don't think words, people can misuse words and abuse words and use, say all sorts of different things. But what I'm saying is his title on his thing said minister. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't even believe in titles being important. So that's why I would never put, but some people, you know, they put title prophetess, this or minister, this or pastor, this or whatever. Right. Uh, so I just think I'm Jason Kente, right? Like, but that's fine because I understand that those things are important to people. And I ch actually changed my name. So who am I to say I even changed the whole name, much less to using a title. But the point is he threw me off a stage. And the thing is, he said, what, how old are you? You haven't done the baby make thing yet. I, I say baby make thing. I just like using a term because I want to be specific, but he's like, cause there's all kind of different kinds of sex. That's why I say that. But he's like, what are you talking about? Right? how old are you? And I said, and at the time, I think it was 44 or 45. So I told him and he's like, what? And he said, that's ridiculous. All this time. And he threw me off the stage. So I said, look, some of these guys are so thirsty. They get thirsty because I'm not drinking. Why should it affect him? <laughs> and what I do call it abuse, because the thing is, if the only power you have is say the moderator reader badge, right? Or say here on the wisdom app, say the only power you have, power you have is to kick person off. And there's no actual reason, like I understand, if you say, listen, you need to be quiet now, let me speak.
right? But if there's no actual reason just because of who the person is or whatever, and the only power you have is to kick him off a stage, then that's abusing the power. Because the thing is, imagine it was like, uh, like I used to do poetry shows, okay? Toronto Poets, I was president of Toronto Poets. We did poetry shows. Imagine a, there, it's a physical stage, okay? Or for a person that doesn't have poetry, imagine you're at your, your graduation and, or you go to your daughter or son's graduation. You're at the, the place and it's a physical stage and the person goes up, they're supposed to go on the mic and say some kind of, say to us, homecoming, they're supposed to do some kind of speech. And they go up, they're about to go, go give their speech and somebody grabs them and throws them into the fr- Do you understand? What- yeah, I do. I do. Because that's the uh, only well- power you have. So if you're a cop, then you would shoot me then, right? Because the thing is, it's the only power you have. So then uh, it's an abuse of power. And I only think there's only two problems in the world, lack of knowledge and second abuse of power. So you actually were right because I'm about to, I decided to go and do my master's. So if I'm going to go and do my master's, it's like I'm on, like this other woman on the thing, her her son is 18, he's about to go away to college. Mm -hmm. So me and her son are at a similar stage, even though her son's 18 and I'm 46. I do. Yeah. Because I actually met somebody. She's gorgeous. She was in the UK doing pageants. Okay. But her vision, and she's a minister too, and everything. She's beautiful, right? She looked like, you know, I like I'm attracted to that Gabrielle Union type, right? And so she, you know, I would say my ex really looked a lot more like Gabrielle Union, but I'm saying, but she's she's very pretty, right? She's also a minister, so we have that in common. Even for the people that don't share the belief, we have that in common. But what's the thing? Her vision of it is she's going to find a guy, settle down with, this is what she teaches her community. The guy's going to be her provider and she's going to be his provider, but in a different way. Okay. So, so the thing is, she's not planning to have to work. She wants a guy that's ready to take care of the, those types of expenses. And she's going to be his wife and make sure the home is great. Maybe have kids and take care of the kids which is fine for a lot of people, they would like that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that right now. Because if I'm going to do my master's, I probably have to get a job on campus. You know, at first, maybe even have to borrow for school. And if I'm going and it's on campus, you know, I'm not at that position where I'm able to provide, take care of all the expenses in a house. I probably have to live on campus. What what kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, you're getting married. Where are you going to live? Oh, well, I'm going to move into a dorm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that that's not like some people could be in love and say they're going to do that. But at 40, like I get 30 something. I think she's 30 something. She right. doesn't want to do that now. Maybe she would have done that at 20 something. Right. But she doesn't want to do that now. You see what I'm saying? She wants a guy that's established and is in his career and stuff and he's able to pay for things and they're able to have a house and have a car and stuff i sold my car and my house to invest in my company so i think my company's worth more than a million but not now nobody's going to buy that now and it's my dream it's my company i'm going to work that i'm doing dream livers club i'm launching it in 2030 
I'm doing this until 2030. So the thing is, it's at the beginning now. So even though I'm 46, it's like I'm beginning now. So in a way, unless I find somebody that shares that dream and is willing to sell their car and house and ride a bike, who's that? Which they who wants to do that? Yeah, it, like Jason, you know part of it too, though, is that you're the sense that I'm getting from you is that you're not really sure solid in your own plan yet either. well i have it written down for the decade my dream you have for the written... decade is to help the Penn last power club oh sorry Go... the last time we spoke there was there was you know you had the plan for the business but there was no question of going and getting your master's oh degree. because i i realized once i gave up on finding a a, a, a spouse now Mm -hmm. Then I said, you know, why, why am I not ready now? I'm not ready now because I'm committed to this dream of Dream Livers Club. And I'm looking for somebody to fit in to, to be my co-founder when people don't actually want to co-found. Okay. How is, how can I be looking for a co-founder? Okay. So my vision of relation, I said, I'm looking for somebody like Michelle. I'm planning to run for office next decade. But I planned that in 1988, plan to be a minister and then potentially prime minister. So I plan to get back into politics in, in 2030. Okay. But I plan to do the Dream Livers Club, build that until 2030. But the problem is I'm solid on that plan, but everybody has their own dream. So for me to just expect to meet somebody and fit them in as co-founder, mm -hmm. I've looked since last January, I didn't find anybody that wants that. And she's an example. She doesn't want that. So the thing is, you're an example. Why would you already want something that somebody else has and want to share that dream? So what I'm saying is this, that that was unrealistic. And even if it was possible that I found somebody like that, I didn't. And the time is up. So that's why I made a different plan for what I'm doing with my time. And I committed. I do. I do. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad that um, it was it was helpful. Um, yeah. I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be in poetry mode tonight. But I am glad that that was helpful because sometimes we, you know, we do get into an idea of and a picture of what we want from for our lives but then when we have to ask ourselves you know what has to happen in order for that to take place things get super complicated because then you know we also have to take into account not just our own especially if we're wanting to get coupled up not just our own reality but the reality of whoever it is that we might be looking at um, as a potential partner. Um, but yeah, today I'm in super mellow mode and I'm probably going to talk about nonsense and I'm going to do some reading for sure. Um, and I'm annoyed by this particular poem because it feels like it should be one poem, but it's actually two poems written by different authors that someone somewhere along the way decided should go together and 
I happen to agree with that person because I think it's it's beautifully powerful um, as a mishmash. And I wish we did more. We did more with that, more of that with literature these days. But what with you know it all being corporatized, it's harder to do. Um. So, don't know the name of it because, as I said, it's two different poems. But I really do feel it describes me perfectly. I'm not. <laughs> I'm in my um I'm in my melancholy bag when it comes to boys and relationships at the moment. Um because I keep I'm I've been thinking about my exes a bit. I've been thinking about relationships in general because of the way that the ways that I have done them in the past and the choices that I have made, like one of them, and I'm not sure if I've talked about this recently. No, I don't think I have because I think before recently I've been focused more on like men and loneliness and that kind of thing. But um, A, recently diagnosed with panic disorder, which I did not know. That has been apparently been long standing. Um, and I'm not saying that's the reason why. I behaved as I did in relationships, but I do believe that it is one of the reasons why it continued for so long and I didn't notice it. So one of the things that I've made a habit of doing is I, I, I've always thought of myself as a really good friend and someone who's really loving and supportive, and I am those things. But what I don't necessarily do, the specific thing that I didn't necessarily do was tell people what they meant to me, like why they were important to me, like why I needed them in my life, what it was that they contributed that made me feel that I would really be sad if I missed them. And the other part that I did, because um, I learned to be way too self-reliant, way too young, was <laughs> was to kind of give people the impression that I could go at any time. So yes, super complimentary, but I don't tell you what you mean to me. Um, and you also have the vibe that one day you could wake up and I could just be gone. And that's not, and, and lately I've been like racking my brain over, I want more connection. I want more connection. What's, what's up? Why don't I have the, the sense of connection I, I really want? And, you know, I think I'm a nice person and my friends seem to like me. Okay. What's the problem? Well, the problem has been that the problem has been, I haven't told people what they mean to me. I haven't told them that that I need them. Um, and I've started doing that, but I have, it has caused me to sort of look back on past relationships and romantic relationships and ways that I've shown up that while yes, it's true. I left for good reasons. You know, that saying, no matter how flat you make a pancake, it has two sides. So the first time I left my first ex of my significant, my first one I fell in love with, 
I left because I fell in love with him and he didn't fall in love with me. And that was a really big surprise because when we first got together, we decided that neither of us understood what people were talking about when they said that they were in love, that it just didn't make any sense. And I always assumed because I loved people so much, just generally, like I felt like my love was a free gift, that it went with the person, regardless of whether I ever saw them again. It was just something that I offered. And um, uh, uh, let me just a sec, let me see who's, what's, what's that? Okay, okay, Jillian, that sounds great. I wanna, I wanna talk to you um, and give me just a minute because I don't want your time to start to run out. Um, and so I wouldn't, tell them so that was a reasonable reason to leave i felt it turns out you know we'd agreed we weren't going to fall in love with each other i fall in love you don't it seems wild to me to stay with that person and you know start finding myself in patterns of trying to to look for signs that they were in love with me maybe secretly or trying to find ways to to show them that they should prove to them that they should fall in love with me and that kind of stuff. So I left and that was a reasonable thing to do. Second time I left, it was, you know, we got back together because he's all, I'm in love with you five months later, which I think he probably was before, but wasn't willing to say. Um, and he went through a lot of life upheavals. He made a big move. Uh, both geographically and career-wise, left a company that he'd been with for decades, left a place that he'd lived in for decades. And he's also an introvert like me to some degree. And he just got really busy. And I, my relationships are all long distance because I have been living the COVID life for a long time. Um, and so his time with me became shorter and shorter. And when I spoke to him about it, we had a couple of conversations. And the first time I thought, okay, it's going to be fine. And then the second time he just kind of made it clear, uh, it is what it is. And so I walked. And I remember before breaking up with him, there was this guy who had expressed interest in me, this much older guy who like defined himself as an asshole. Like that was his, that was his point of pride. And I knew that he liked me. He'd liked me for, for like at least five or six years. And I'd always turned him down, which is something that my ex knew. But when I, and, and he'd done it again recently, um, offered himself. And when I told my ex that I was thinking of leaving, he's like, yeah, I know so-and-so showed interest. And so, you know, if you want to go and be with them, that's fine. And I just thought, what on earth are, and I just thought, you know, way, you are way more insecure than I thought you were. I can't believe it. Cause I thought that I knew that you had some lurking insecurities, but to believe that I would even consider this guy, what is wrong with you? But looking back, I realized I never told the man. Yes, I told him I loved him. Yes, I told him I was in love with him. Yes, I told him about his nice qualities. 
but I did not allow him to see that I needed him. I also didn't tell him what he meant to me, why he was important to me. And so his, you know, maybe little tiny insecurities were exacerbated by the fact that I seemed like a person with a foot, one foot out the door. Come on up, Jillian. Let's, let's you and me talk about this some more. Um, and so I, I felt it, it's forced me to look back at some of the, why isn't my ah good morning good morning good morning how are you today um i'm doing pretty well off to a pretty good start how are you pretty good i'm uh i'm awake which is not the best yeah but apart right So what brings you up to talk tonight? I mean, this morning. Um, I was just, um, I got a notification and I just clicked on it and then um, clicked on lives and just heard part of what you were discussing and just decided to join because it just seemed um, of interest and like something that I'm kind of struggling with constantly in my um, personal relationship too. So, um, just with the communication and, um, and so forth. So I just decided to pop. What part of the communication thing are you struggling with? The same thing or being girlfriend or? Hmm. Um, I have, I have a boyfriend that I've been, um, dating for almost three years and there's a three-year age difference with myself being the older one. Mm -hmm. And um, I have children and he has one daughter that lives on her own, but we don't have like a, we have a mutual goal of where we want to see our relationship, but um, I want to get there sooner. And um, so there's always like this tension around that. Um, and just, I guess, um, I, I'm not really sure he understands. No, what are the reasons why it's not happening sooner? Um, well, he has some other personal goals um, that he'd like to reach before making that commitment of marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, he is um, recovering from um, addiction and um, he wants to make sure he's like solid in that area. Right. How long has it been for him? Um, well, um, he's been on the road to recovery for the last five years, but he's definitely not been like sober the full five years he's had um, I would say quite a bit of um, relapses. And so, yeah, he is still struggling in that area. So I respect what he's trying to say with being solid in that area, but I just 
don't know how long it's going to take to get there. And from what I know about addictions, like it's a constant battle. How long has he been clean this time? Um, about 18 months. About 18 months. Yeah. Okay. And how long does he want to be sober before he gets married? Well, that is the question that I have myself and the question he can't really seem to answer. Um, so that's what, what is he saying? What was that? What does he say when you ask him? Um, he just says, um, you know, like we've talked about this and I, I just don't feel like I can, you know, meet your needs and the needs of your children and um, without, like he has mentioned he wants like at least two years. Like he mentioned that okay. like before his last relapse. So um, maybe that's what he's thinking. Um, so I think I just need to retouch on that to see if that's still like the case, I guess, um, just to make sure it's like, is it still two years you're shooting for of sobriety before you're ready or, um, or what do you foresee now? I guess. Um, okay. I want to look at that before I start anything. I'm not a psych, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I'm not a mental health practitioner. I'm a life coach um, yeah. and a cultural fluency mentor. So I, I, I'm, you're, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, this, this, this is me. This is the me that you're getting. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So he's been, so has he actually been completely sober for 18 months with no relapses? To my knowledge, yes. We don't, we don't live together. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I haven't like sus suspected any further use. He's expressed the desire to use, mm -hmm. um, but to my knowledge, it's been 18 months. And he wants two years under his belt. And he also has concerns about, I would imagine if I'm a, if I'm an addict and I'm still struggling to get two years under my belt after five years, and I have a partner who has young children or children who are still in the house, yes. um, and I need a parental figure, I would, I would have concerns about that. I'd have concerns about my ability to be able to maintain my sobriety and to also be a good partner and parent and co-parent to the degree that he would be for your kids. Um, yeah. And no, that's a good, that's a very good point. Thank you. Um, actually, that's very enlightening. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, like he has, he is not great at communication and we are in couples therapy and just like beginning it in it. Oh, good and, for you. Um, yeah. Um, thank you. And I just, but he's still not there yet with his communication um, style. Um, and so um, I appreciate that, that 
the way you said it, like, I'm like, that, that makes sense. Like, I could you picture him saying that, um, if he could put it into words. Well, well you're welcome. And I'm glad that that was a, a little bit helpful at least. And I, and I do understand, like, you know, it is difficult to be in love with a man who you believe in more than he believes in himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Um, that's very true. Yes. Um, and this is my first time, um, venturing in this area as far as, um, this topic. Um, so I haven't dealt with it before personally. It's a lot, but, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of my, my, my struggle. And I'm like, just, um, I'm just like a person that, um, always is like, I wish I just could have my future laid out. And like, I just, I've, I struggle with anxiety really mm. pretty significantly. And I have PTSD from a prior relationship. And so like the unknown is so scary yeah. for me yeah. at times. And so I just like to know or have an idea um, to some degree. And so um, that is something I, I need to learn to like sit on my hands with, with, you know, like just constant. And I'm not constantly badgering him, but um, I just need to like chill out sometimes. <laughs> And I, I'm going to offer something that is, is something else to think about. And okay. whatever answer you come up with for yourself, it's all negotiable and um, manageable. But okay. you, you, you struggle, you know that you struggle with PTSD, with anxiety and uncertainty is something that triggers that and you've decided to hitch your star to an addict. So one of the things kind of, it, the, way I'm, the way I'm seeing it, uh, one of a few things kind of has to happen is that you've got to get comfortable, more comfortable with uncertainty because mm -hmm. he can relapse anytime. He can relapse five, oh, please do come back up, Jillian. Um, he could relapse five years from now. He could relapse tomorrow. Um, and yes, none of that will be with your focus. Right. Yes. Um, I know. I, you know, I, I appreciate that. Um, I am gonna, I am gonna ponder that one because I have not, like, it's so, it's so enlightening sometimes to, um, just have a different perspective. Even my, I have a personal therapist too, like outside of couples therapy and like, she hasn't even like presented a question in that regard as far as like, just being on the outside looking in, like, mm -hmm. I just wish I could do that sometimes. And that's what you did for me just now. So. Coaches like to get right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like it's like, and I, I often find myself in these situations where it is like, I don't know if I'm attracting them or if I just, um, I don't know. I think 
maybe the law of attraction applies here. I'm not sure, but I, I oftentimes with my struggles that I have, like trouble finds me or um, things that are just like um, difficult, they find me. And um, yeah, I'm still trying to understand that part, but. Yeah, you know, life is difficult. And I, you know, I tell, I tell women all the time that we attract everything. We attract yeah. everything. Yeah, but it's about the engage. What is what what we engage? And often, you know, why? You know? Yeah. Why why this guy when what part of you craves is um certainty and stability? Why this is the why this is why when this guy walked by you didn't just let him keep walking. I'm not saying that you should or you shouldn't. I'm just right. saying that it's ask yourself the questions. And then, because sometimes the answers lead us into places of growth, not necessarily right. of walking away from somebody, but of just like growth and learning that allow us to become more, more rooted in who we are and more able to um, take on the situation. But also sometimes it does mean like that process of growth means, you know, walking away and saying, you know what, I I could learn how to be a person who's like, you know, life happens, it's fine, I can do change. But maybe on this particular issue, this is not something I want to take a risk on. Right. Um, and sometimes we try to rush things because we're afraid that if we have too much time to think about it, we're going to change our minds. And I don't know how much or if any of that had anything for you, holds anything for you, but I just yeah. thought I'd throw it all out there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if you want more feedback on those questions, but if you want me to, um, suggesting I just ponder those things that you threw out, but um, I, to whatever degree, capacity, I, I do appreciate um, those, those things that you mentioned. Um, and I am looking at this personally. I do look at every situation, um, including this one, as like, is there, where's my lesson here? Like, what am I supposed to be learning? And I do look for every opportunity within every situation for um for growth hopefully for growth um and not any kind of like regressions um mm -hmm. but um yeah so i i'm i'm looking for it and um constantly wondering and i think i know the answer to this one and it's just more of like being patient and um letting things unfold i think i just have a, a just i just struggle in that area so Life is really messy and badly designed. And for those of us who like to know what's going to happen next, like to feel like we can plan uh, our next steps, that is yeah. really, really hard to take. Yes. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> and, 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 and part of that, also, I didn't mention this before, but I'm, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an empath. And so, I like, I can feel everybody, anybody who I come in contact with, I'm just like, 
I feel whatever they're feeling. And so I think that is what my drive is to know what's to come because I already feel so much. I want to be prepared for what, right. whatever I can be prepared for because that, that weight itself is just heavy at times to feel um, the emotions of others and, and sense that. It really is. Have you, have you, I, cause I, I don't, I, you know, I'm a highly sensitive person myself. Yeah. And, um, there are things that you can kind of do. Like I found there's a thing called armor up. And if you look it up, like I, you should probably find it if you Google um, highly sensitive people and then armor up there okay. that we can kind of do to sort of cut down on some of the noise that comes in from other people. I didn't okay. believe at all. I didn't, you know, I, I mean, I didn't believe in any of that stuff. Like, you know, Oh yeah. Being, being an empath or anything like that. I just, until one day I was like, I was in an, I was in an elevator with someone I'd gotten in. I was going to my happy spot. I was at a library <laughs> and then I got into an elevator with someone and I was so mad. I was like, I'm mad. Why am I, what is going on? I was just really irritated. And then the guy left the elevator and I was fine. And I was like, <laughs> okay, now, okay. Okay, now I believe that this thing that people have been telling me about is, is a yeah. thing that happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I recently picked up a empath workbook and I've been um, uh, exploring that like about about every other day, um, just kind of like writing in it and reading at the same time, and it's been it's been helpful. It's kind of just like a guide to help me see where like the the gifts are within being an empath, um, and so that's been it's been a, it's been helpful. But I'm gonna check out that armored armor up one too. That sounds really I like the title of it because that's what it feels like. I oftentimes need to do um, yeah. <laughs> when I go out in public. <laughs> really cool and it's like a what do they call it is that what do they call it when you it's not an anagram i don't know but you know each word actually each letter actually is a different word so oh, an ac acronym yeah acronym yeah. thank you oh my gosh i was never going to get that this morning <laughs> no i i feel you on that one <laughs> that happens to me often <laughs> that's fantastic well, well, thank you so much. I was like that you guys are, you know, doing all the right things that you need to do in order to give yourselves the best chance for success, including, yeah. you know, he's sounds like he's being really thoughtful about, you know, what he can handle and under what circumstances so that because yeah. that's really sensible saying, you know, two years sober. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, right. and you also about what his concerns are. And you also, you know, being willing to, 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 to listen to those things and pay attention to your own impatience and get curious about that instead of, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's tension. Of course there is, but, but, but you, you're, you've also just made the choice to be curious about your impatience rather than just blame him for not doing what you want right now. And oh so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm really good for both of you. I'm. I, Thank I, you. Got nothing to do with it, but I'm proud of you both just the same. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, 
another thought I just had was like, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I think I'm a little bit selfish in that area too, which I'm exploring as well, because I'm like, I just want, I don't want to share him with this drug or, or whatever. And so I'm just like, I'm like, I want that commitment. I don't want that commitment to have you. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. So, yeah. But you'll, you'll, you'll still be sharing him with his sobriety, which yes. isn't, the, which is nowhere near as bad, but it still is a, it's a relationship that right separate from yours and yeah his. i you're you're absolutely right yeah i never thought of it in that way at all but that is true i need to be mindful of that as well yeah you know, i'm so glad that you came up this morning and i can't oh, I was all in a funk. I was like, I'm just going to sit here. I mean, and I probably am going to read some poetry because I do enjoy doing that, but I'm glad that yeah. we have this talk as well. Oh, thank you, Jillian, for coming up. Yay. Oh, and hello, everybody who came in. I didn't, we, we got an audience here. So, um, the, the, so like, when I left my last ex, my, my, my ex, the last time I left him, I realized that I never let him know how much, how important he was to me. And then I got into a much more emotionally healthy relationship because before when people would say, Oh, so what, what's your type? I'd say, I don't have a type. And then I realized I do emotionally unavailable was my type. And so that first ex, that I fell in love with, uh, he was emotionally unavailable. And uh, my wall, his walls would trigger my walls and blah, 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 blah. But the next guy was A, 13 years younger than me, which is something I never thought I'd do. Literally the youngest I'd ever dated was, uh, I think, seven years older than me. I never dated younger, never wanted to, but I can kind of see some perks, some benefit of that now a little bit. There's um, there's a level of emotional, oh, this is going to sound mean because I don't want to say emotional intelligence because I don't think that's exactly the truth. I think willing to engage with emotion. Um, because they might not be any more, any smarter about how they manage their emotion, but they're more willing often to engage with it. He's a super mature guy, super, I have a lot of admiration for him still. Jillian, you know, like, like your guy, he's somebody, I believed in him way more than he believed in himself, which was also a problem for our relationship. And so I would say all kinds of things to him. I would tell him how wonderful he was and blah, 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 blah. I loved him, et cetera. I told him I loved him a lot, but I never, I, I always wanted to make sure that in my, that I was clear in my own mind that I didn't need him. And unfortunately, I also needed him to know that. And that's not a great way to go into a relationship with a species that needs to be needed. And men need to be needed. You know, it's good for them. 
it, it operates on them very differently than it does for women when we need to be needed in relationships. Because I think in when we need to be needed in relationships, we often start trying to control the other person. Um, and I, I find with men, when they, they work a little bit differently in that generally when they need to be needed, it's all about finding the happiness for their of their partner, working towards that. And they, great, they, they gain a great deal of satisfaction from knowing that what they do takes care of us um, and makes us happy. And so he needed to be needed and I needed to need no one. And there were things that I just couldn't talk about you know, I, you know, like I said, heavy into trauma space, just didn't know it. I thought I was fine because I was doing all the coping things. Life was difficult, but I was doing all the coping things. And what I did, once I exhausted the coping things that I could take care of by myself, I told myself that I was fine and I felt fine, except my body just started like, felt like it was just trying to rip me to shreds in various ways. Um, and I could never tell him how much it meant to me that he, uh, that he coaxed out the, um, the more vulnerable parts of my heart and took such good care of them. I would never tell him that. That is not a conversation we had. And he, and I, I feel, so I am, I've been doing this thing, having these conversations with friends, you know, telling them what they mean to me um, over the past week or so. And I have to say, if you've not done that yet, I heartily recommend it because it creates such a sense of connection. And it also helps you to know yourself a little bit better because there are parts of me that, um, you know, that I think of, I have a friend who, um, while being super protective, she's also extremely boundaried. So she may want to come rushing into whatever situation I'm in and fix it, but she absolutely, her, her respect for my autonomy and my agency is absolute. So she doesn't no matter how much she wants to. She'll say stuff, she'll suggest very strongly, but she has never once put herself into one of, into a situation that was mine without my express permission. And um, I gotta say, I really learned the knack of that from her <laughs> because that was not something I was as good at before she and I became friends. Um, and so it was nice to be able to, to like, so the process of telling her what she meant to me helped me to see the parts of her that I had brought into myself um, to, to become better. And at the time, I, I didn't need her to tell me. I, I wasn't telling her what she meant to me in order to hear, hear it. I told it to her because she deserved to know. I told it to a couple of my friends because they deserved to know. 
And it was even just on a one-sided level, because I think only one of my friends responded right away with like, here's what you mean to me. Um, the other two, they kind of took their space. They took their time. One of them still hasn't responded at all. She's like, you understand that you telling me this is going to make me very uncomfortable. And I said, yes, I do understand that. And I promise I'm going to tell you and then you can hang right up. And she said, thank you. And, but, but just that process alone, I have been feeling so disconnected and lonely, but just that process alone made me start to feel so connected and made me aware of how not alone I am. Um, but I will say that until this point, you know, back to my thoughts about the exes, I very much operated as the woman described in this poem by M.K. Wilde and Cap Caitlin Seal. It's a, it goes like this. Women like me do not fall gracefully. We stumble over our spines, trip over our vowels and collapse into your arms. Our hearts are open books Russian novels containing 50 pages on the way your voice drifts across the telephone wires each night. Our hearts are first drafts, unedited verses about each and every person we have ever loved. The stranger on the subway, the girl who gave us a balloon, the boy who stole our virginity, but not our heart. Women like me, will love you from a distance of a thousand syllables while laying in your bed. We will destroy you in the most beautiful way possible. And when we leave you, and when we leave, you will finally understand why storms are named after people. I think if I read this poem to either of my exes, they would they would agree that there was a lot of that going on. I mean, it sounds beautiful in writing. It is beautiful. I mean, that that our hearts are that our um hearts are open books, Russian novels containing fifty pages on the way you're your voice just just across the telephone wires at night. Now, Russian novels, I don't know how many of you have read a Russian novel. Those babies are not easy to get through. And 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 not only are they not easy to get through just because of the density of the language, but then you get through, you know, most of it and then realize the story isn't even about the thing that you thought the story was about that the author was putting on the page. It's you, you find, you know, you, you, you've done all this reading of the story, then realize oh, you're in the middle, you're in the middle of an allegory. And that sounds super romantic and kind of hot and sexy in a way, you know, that you can never know a woman and she'll wreck you, blah, 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 blah. But who wants to live with that? And 
And one thing this woman most certain the mo woman in this po poem most certainly is, is even when she's partnered, she's alone. And while that described me in the past, I have decided that I do not want that to describe me in the future. I want that to be something different, you know, something more connected and drawn together with another person. So um, I do love that poem though. And I recognize that there's a wildness at its heart that um, is everything to do with who I am at my core. I recognize that while I will be able to do the things that maybe make being in relationship with me feel safe, that at my core, there will always be this woman there will always, it's just, it's just built into who I am. Um, nature and nurture, I think. Cause you know, I'm a bit of an artist. I write, I used to draw a lot. And just as, um, as uh, Jillian talked about a relationship that hers, her love is going to have, that's going to be separate from her and her relationship with him, when you're a writer, your relationship to words and putting them on pages and thinking about putting them on pages is something that has absolutely nothing to do with the person that you're with. And not everybody's okay with that. Um, and so I feel like the least I can do is to do my best to make myself more, um, more easy, more easily reached and more easily held and more easily known, especially since there are parts of me that they're never, ever going to really be able to fully reach or know or hold because that part belongs to my muse. Um, yeah, being up too late and early at the same time clearly makes me, uh, <laughs> makes my language get kind of, well, the way it is right now, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know what to call all that. It, it, it feels like I'm talking crap. I mean every word, but it still feels like a bit much melodramatic. There we go. That's the word. So um, I'm going to read a couple of poems by, by Nikita Gill. The first one is one that I had to learn. I literally got involved with the guy as a rescue mission one time. Um, he was in France. I was here in the States and we got to know each other and he would go on and on and on about how love didn't really exist. It was a thing that women said or talked about or wanted to hear about in order to have an excuse 
for wanting to have sex. Yeah, he was that guy. Um, and that um, men don't live in the home space. They enter it. And he, would, he was talking absolutely, and I was listening to him. I loved his intellectuality. I love his intellect. But I also recognized that when it came to his emotions, he was talking complete crap. That he was one of the most loving people I knew. And that was really clear. And he'd had a trauma in his life. He'd lost a partner to, to cancer. And he was struggling with his relationship with his son. And for whatever reason, I decided to seduce him into love. Not like sexually, but into the idea of love being something desirable or, or remind him that he was a person who loved, who both loved and loved to be loved. Um, I would not do that again today. I think the relationship worked out the way it should because it didn't last long. It was codependent in that sense. And it worked because we got out when it was time to get out. We'd made an agreement that if either of us found a partner in real life, that the romantic part of our relationship would end. And once he found his partner, he started to drag his feet and on ending our romantic part. And I realized that he was afraid. He was afraid to, um, to trust this new relationship and to fully engage with it. And while I was there, I was impeding that process. And it was, and I, you know, and he credits me with like, I went dancing in a virtual world, not a, couple, a few years ago. And he says, I would not have been able to get into this relationship if not for you. And that is something beautiful I will always carry to my heart. I, I appreciate that so much, but, I have reached a place in my life where I want that reciprocal, that reciprocity. I want to love wildly and I want to be loved wildly. Right. Um, and in order for that to happen, there can be no more rescue missions. And Nikita Gill writes about this beautifully in a poem called your heart is not a hospital. I'm going to read it now. after I take a sip of water. It goes like this. Your body is not a first aid kit for broken people and damaged souls and hearts that are too tired to fix themselves. Your heart is not a hospital to rejuvenate and spend all of its lifeblood on other people's problems and sadnesses. You have been created from the blood of incalculable planets and immense supernovas and infinite constellations and they didn't spend years painting your soul into a master into masterpiece like existence for you to waste it on someone who doesn't appreciate you because the truth is <laughs> 
while my experience with that person was beautiful and wonderful, he's not kept in touch. And so, um, yes, we were friends. And I think if we got together, we talked, you know, I think we're the kind of friends that if we didn't talk for years, we'd get back, you know, we'd come back together and, you know, just talk like we'd pick right up again. But he doesn't feel a responsibility toward me because I made myself responsible for him. And when someone makes you their responsibility, it creates a kind of imbalance where they don't necessarily feel responsible to you if you have not done this in a reciprocal way. If you haven't gone into that relationship with interdependence, where you both rely on each other, I think it's difficult for the other person to really get to the whole like appreciation aspect of things. Um, so that was one. I feel like there was, there was another by her that I really, oh yeah, it's called Dragon's Breath. Oh, I love this poem. Dragon's Breath. Girls like you were born to tame dragons, to fight in wars, to lead armies. Girls like you were created to swallow darkness, to quell monsters, to destroy obscurity. Girls like you were given life to bring tempest and hail gales and unto their, unto their enemies. Let me say that again. Girls like you were given life to bring tempest and hail gales unto your enemies. Don't let a king or a prince or a fairy tale tell you that you are smaller than that or who you are meant to be. I love that poem because I, I do feel like there's a, there's a, thing that we sometimes do as women where we imagine that something that happens like we, we fall for somebody and we immediately make ourselves smaller small enough to fit into their lives small enough to fit into their sense of self without being a threat small enough to fit into society's ideas of what womanhood should be when truly we are agents of chaos and society needs that too um so this idea of being of of being born to to quell monsters i was Think of yourself as a little girl. Remember what you were like? Remember how strong you were and how, uh, uh, and how violent your emotions were and the, like, the things that you imagined you'd be willing to do to, to get your way or to make something happen. You know, all of that strength and power. Where did that go? middle school, 
<laughs> you know, most of us lost it around middle school, this idea that we were wild beings that were, that could not be tamed. Most of us, you know, got tamed in middle school, but, um, As I said, I've been thinking about my exes a lot. And this poem is one that I, my current, my, my last ex, we were really on the same, way, same wavelength. Like he was in the UK, I was here, but, and we had a certain schedule, right? So around six or seven o'clock at night, you know, we'll have spent the evening together doing whatever we were doing, playing games, reading books. He'd be studying. I would be watching something or, or writing. And um, then he would go to bed. And he liked me to say goodnight before I went to bed, but I was always really bad at remembering to do that. And then in the the next time that we would really see each other, would be the next afternoon when I was prepared to human because, you know, I have an illness that means waking up takes hours and sometimes not even then the process of like my brain coming to life and being willing to move my body um, and, and get all the processes moving. And so usually around one or two o'clock we'd get together. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I would think to myself, I want to talk to him. I want him to call me. And it would be like midnight. And I, 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 I know it's time for me to go to bed, but I just, I just wanted to hear his voice one more time. And inevitably, I would get a my, my Skype would start to ring, inevitably. And it happened so many times. You know, we were really connected. And I, I am not like, I am not relationship-centered when it comes to my life. I never really have been. Like, I, I mean, I tell you, I fell in love for the first time at 44 years old. So clearly... I have not been working on this. This has not been my, my lifelong project. Um, and before that, I didn't have a bunch of relationships. I was just, you know, I'd have crushes. I liked having crushes. They didn't get in the way. Um, and so being with this person and having this experience of being so tuned into each other was, it was, miraculous to me. It was a just beautiful gift that I really appreciated. But then we had a crazy COVID breakup, which, which instead of our relationship dying and us moving on from one another or growing apart, we were torn from each other by the way things went in the world. I developed a, my panic disorder which I didn't know at the time, right? Realized at the time, um, decided to uptick considerably. And he had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life 
that was just that if it were me would have broken me and so we were torn from each other and i always felt like there were times when i could feel him reaching for me and there were times when i felt tied to him still um and that lasted years that feeling and i remember coming across this poem and it's called the art of unmissing also by nikita gill i have been encanting my heart in how to unmiss you spelling myself into mastering the art of forgetting the damage you have done stitching back my soul from the savage way you ripped it apart i think i finally know where i went wrong you see yesterday someone asked me how do you heal from losing the greatest love of your life i smiled and answered you make yourself another one and you make that love yourself it helped me a lot i reread that poem a lot for a while and i really worked on making my next love be you know and i think i succeeded um there are moments where i feel like i want a boy <laughs> um and i and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think being coupled up is fantastic and amazing and everybody should experience it and everybody should have at least one great love Esther Perel says that most people have three or four in their lifetime. And if they are very lucky, they're with the same person. And, you know, I would like my full, full quota. Thank you very much. I've had two and I am greedy and I want the other two. Um, the fifth one is me in that I have come to, you know, there's one thing that happens when you are, when you're sort of ripped out of the normal run of life, you become an observer. You get to see how other, how, how life is lived, you know? And I, I started to say how other people live their lives, but I don't even feel like that's the way life really works. I feel that life is something that is lived, that, that other people survive. Because let's think about it. It's, it's, it's husbands and wives and kids and jobs and mortgages and bills and schedules and doctor's appointments and binging Netflix because you're just too tired to do anything else. That feels like your life. I think to some people it does. That for some people they feel like 
that this is the life that they created for themselves. And what I observed being out of the normal run of it is that's not true. That this is the life that happens to almost everyone. It happens to us. Because what 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 is it that happens? We turn 18, right? And if we are, quote, fortunate, we go off to college, at which point we're expected to decide what it is that we want to do for a living for the rest of our life, which makes no sense whatsoever if you really think about it. But it is what life does to us. And then we go into debt in order to get that education in that thing that at 18, we decided that we wanted to do for the rest of our lives, only to discover once we get to the end, A, we owe a lot of money, and B, that our passions lay elsewhere. We don't have much opportunity in the normal run of life. In my view, I call my life the view from the bridge. It's the it's the uh, space between being alive and living. I'm not living that life. And so what I see is that this life is something that is imposed upon us. And I applaud anybody who does anything, any small thing to disrupt that pattern. Any little passion that you left go by the wayside when you were a child or a teenager that you like get curious about and pick up again. You are, you are bucking the system. Any time that you work on yourself and um, try to become more connected to your understanding of yourself and other people, you are bucking the system. You are bucking that system that is life, that is happening to us all. And clearly I am very existential and thoughtful this morning, but I, I fully believe that we are too hard on ourselves. We imagine that other people have somehow figured out a way to um, live purposeful lives. Like the, like we are the ones who, who, we are the only ones who didn't figure that out. When what's really true is that it is the, the purposeful, the purpose-driven life is a rarity. Those are rare individuals. Those are individual circumstances. And very often, those individual circumstances come with quite a lot of privilege. Quite a lot of privilege or, or privilege situated in such a place and in such a way that it gave the person space to get out from under some of what life does to us in order to find their purpose. And if you are, you know, if you are one of those people like everybody, almost everybody else in America and on the planet that life is happening to, and you find a purpose that can drive you, 
you've that is a great victory and don't let anybody tell you different don't let a partner tell you that whatever it is that you've gotten yourself up to is a waste of time now i am not talking about numbing behaviors like i consider video games they have their place reading has its place television has its place but overdone they are numbing behaviors they are ways of jet their novocaine for life. I'm talking about engaging with something that engages your spirit and excites you and makes you look forward to the next time you pick it up or the next day or the ability to find someone else who's into it as well. And, you know, this is one of the things that I really love about men. It is one of my favorite things about you is that you more often you you sur- you surrender to life with a great deal more fight than women often do because we get engaged in the practicalities of everyday life and yes you should be helping more blah 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 but it is also true that we take on the mantle of wife and mother and we decide that it's supposed to mean a particular thing, a particular kind of joylessness, a particular kind of practical mindedness. And we find our love and our joy and our happiness in our children, in our home, hopefully in our relationship, maybe in our career. But most like, mostly we don't find it in those things because we've left ourselves behind. And so anything that we can do to like go back and find that person. I'm not talking about, excuse me. I mean, I know this thing, I know this thing is super popular among artists of the, you know, like the 18th century or what are 17th and 16th, 17th, 18th century, this idea of like leaving your wife and family and going off to Papua New Guinea to paint. No, sorry, that is just childishness. Um, so yeah, Beto O'Rourke's, you know, drive across the country, child, to me, childishness. That's what that is to me, that you're, you're a man with a family now. That you don't, you don't have to do anything even that big in order to find some part of yourself because you change one little thing. I mean, this is, this is something that you know, we've, we, we learn from the literature. If you want to change your life, you want to change how you do everything. You only have to change one thing. You only have to change one small thing and it starts setting your brain into new pathways. And it's like, oh, hey, look, I started writing poetry again. Isn't that funny? Huh? okay, I wonder what else we could be doing. And you'll have felt, and you'll be picking up pieces of yourself. Now the trick is to, it's a two part trick to be able to do it in a way that allows you to reassure your partner that you are still part of the team and also to do it in a way for your partner 
to, and I'm going to read something about that too, to respect your solitude, your, your, your right to have a relationship with something that is not them. I don't want to have two guests with me. This is exciting. This almost never, ever happens. I don't know what to do. Okay. Uh, okay. Amanda, it looks like you're first and then Jillian's going to come back up. Hey, Amanda, welcome. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Well, oops, something happened. Looks like I lost you. But if it, if it, if you can come back up, if you can make it back up, please do. Jillian, thank you for coming up. I'm back again. Hey. Sorry. I was like, I was apprehensive about joining oh. me again. So thank you for taking my invitation back. Um, I was like, she's gonna think I'm stalking her show. No, <laughs> you're welcome to stalk. Um, yeah, no, the pieces also that you've just been t touching on have just resonated with me because I was, I'm, I'm, I want to say, I don't know why I want to say this, like, so small, like, so small of a person, but like, I feel like I was one of those people you were talking about, like, that found their purpose in life and was living it out um and i truly was i'm a i'm, I'm a nurse um and a pediatric um, neonatal nurse at that um so i take care of children babies but um it was all it's my lifelong it was my life lifelong passion um even as a child like those little four um you know section papers that you do in kindergarten and who you want to be when you grow up and um, you know, so forth. I drew a nurse, I knew I drew a nurse's hat and, um, I had the, um, privilege of becoming a nurse. And, um, I was a RN for 18 years at a children's hospital mm -hmm. and, um, I suffered a ambiguous loss of what I thought was my, my purpose in life, um, to, um, MS. I, I, had a sudden onset of um, multiple sclerosis, and I literally had the rug pulled from underneath my feet because it manifested um, with mental illness first, um, before I even knew I was um, going to be diagnosed with MS. That's just how it manifested, and um, I, you know, literally just lost everything um, that I thought was everything, um, and. Um, so I just wanted to share that because I'm at a new place now, three years post losing all that, um, that I thought was my purpose, um, to another, a whole entire, another journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been full of emotion and ambiguity. And um, I mentioned before on my last um, guest spot earlier that I am a person like that thrives on what can I know ahead of time so I can like survive tomorrow. And um, this ambiguity has just been, it's been torture. No, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, do you, so you, I just wanted to like share that because I, I just like, you can find your purpose and you can be one of those people, then you can lose you know, literally lose it all and it's like that's 
maybe not your purpose anymore. Maybe you have a new purpose. And so that's where I'm at right now. Have you, do you have any ideas? Any, have you come across anything that has struck you that has, you know, interested you or fascinated you? I just this year started exploring that because I've just been pursuing going back into nursing. Um, right. Because uh, I, I lost, I had my license on hold because of the mental illness components. And so I've been the last two and a half years, like fighting, literally fighting my way back in. Cause I'm like, I, I feel blind out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so this year, um, with encouragement through with my therapist, I um, looked into just possibilities of other options. Nothing is touching my heart the same, and I'm still just um, still just kind of blind out here. So, um, yeah, um, I just don't know um, so where I'm, my life's gonna take me next. So, so I'm gonna ask a question. Yeah. Does it have to touch your heart the same for you to start down the path of it? Does that, mm. does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, it doesn't, for me, for me, I, I wasn't looking for that same. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't like trying to draw that, uh, that correlation. Like I wasn't looking for that same passion because I know whatever I do, if it is going back to nursing, great. Um, but if I don't, I, I know I will never have that same passion because a passion is something that is also a privilege that comes with, uh, your life purpose, I feel. And, um, I know I won't find that same passion that touches my heart in the same way. Like I shouldn't say I know, but I, I'm highly doubtful because it's just an entirely different world that I was living in. So right. not looking for that, but like nothing really like caught my interest or like I didn't feel drawn to anything yet um, that I've explored. So um, yeah, so I hope that answers the question you posed. It, it does. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I wish I could, I, I wish I, this is something that I could like hold you know, like hold us to, but you know, with, with the, these these connections are so ephemeral. When we when we, I I am willing to bet because I really do believe that having had p- passion and purpose in your life um, creates the capacity. It creates a space within you. That must be filled. Okay. Yeah. I a big, a big space. Yeah. And I fully believe because you know what it's like people talk about, you know, you know, like I remember my therapist telling me, you know, after being in love and all that stuff and really like, I'm never going to fall in love again. That was good. <laughs> Fine. That was plenty. It was way more than I expected. I don't need anything else. He's like, well, you know, yeah, you, the likelihood is that you will fall in love again because you've had the experience. And I think that having passion is, cause you know, believe me, like I was supposed to, my life, I was supposed to be living in Europe 
and then deciding where from that was going to be like my springboard to travel you know wherever else in the world i wanted to do wanted to doing full-time ministry work getting to know people from all over the world and just having that fun okay yeah yeah that was mm-hmm. travel is my path, right right but i tell you i have found others I have found others. No, they haven't always resulted in like something successful. Usually they've resulted in something, but what they have definitely done is filled that space that I didn't think could be filled. And I'm betting because you are a person who has had that passion and has had that purpose-driven life that you are Mm -hmm. much more than someone who has not experienced that to experience it again. It's just a question of giving yourself the the freedom to explore. Yeah. And meet yeah. even. Not even necessarily like I'm gonna get into this thing and see if this is it, but just like uh, I'm a little bit curious about that particular thing that just happened let me investigate it a little more and see what happened what 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 that was and one of these days i'm gonna say like three four years from now if i were to talk to you again i bet that you will have found your passion again well i i'm hoping i i hope by then as well and i appreciate that yeah thank you um i also want to say too i i'm 44 too and that just also like resonated with me too i mean 44 um i'm also 44 and um i just uh i just um felt like a connection there when you said you were 44 and um were struggling with um illness so i was just like yeah that's not enough to go back in as a guest jill like sit like sit back <laughs> And so, but you start talking about these other topics and I'm like, okay, I'm going back. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one thing I've noticed about black women in, in terms of, um, cause I'm 48 now, but I was 44 the oh, first time. Oh, you were 44 at the time. Okay. What? Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay. part of us that we, we, we sometimes hit our strides late. We hit our strides in our forties. M- many of us who have achieved amazing things have done so at starting at 40. Um, okay. And I'm gonna tell a couple of stories. Um, and I, I know ooh, I have a, I have another guest waiting. Okay, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Spacey first, and then I'm gonna tell a couple of stories about Black women and our uh, our 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 epic late 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 blooming talents or later in life blooming talents. Hello, Spacey. Welcome. <laughs> Excuse me. Hey, what's up, Maya? Great conversation. Yeah, I mean, talking about the real stuff, I would say, you know, this, the development that does take time, that does take patience, mm-hmm. and does take just a little bit of self-effort, you know, like you said. You change one thing, you can completely almost change your whole self. Yeah. And it starts like that. It really does. Well, thank you. I'm really glad you like that. 
Yeah, no, I'm all. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I I always talk about um you know spiritual development on here, and um yeah, so <laughs> I'm full verse and that kind of talk. So yeah, that's pretty much what drew my attention. I was like, you know what? Yeah, this is you know it's more realistic because we don't really when we're young. I feel like we got carried away by the idea of you know youthful identi- identities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what our dreams are and, like, our plans. But we don't really look at it realistically. Like, when you're planning something that's, you know, going to be big because we all, you know, have big dreams, usually it takes, like, about, like, five to ten years to really start milking it. You know what I mean? Yep. And, like, to start, you know, to plan that ahead of time is, you know, to anyone in their 20s who grabs that kind of idea and doesn't get carried away by, you know, the personalities that we're all trying to pursue. You know, it's so much better because you, know, you can even get it by like your mid thirties, you know, or your forties, you know what I mean? Or beginning of your thirties. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, for men and women, cause you know, it's spiritual development to say the least, you know, and we're all have a spirit inside of us, but, not all of it, not all of us have you know turned on the light switch yet. So whenever that happens, that's when you can start you know using your your God-given abilities, you know the things that we're programmed in your being pretty much, and then you excel in a career field where you know you pretty much become an expert at that, and you know you do beyond great things. I agree. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. It's um it's a it's complicated. Life is it it's always ready to surprise us. And that is I I don't know. I I think like you know, like I I met, I have mentioned a couple of times like my own like panic disorder and stuff like that. My assumption for a long time was life surprises us in a bad way it's almost certain <laughs> oh yeah definitely in a bad way but you know but those bad ways does like it's funny. they're like lessons right they really can be yeah it's like well it surprises you in a way it's like well should you go for it like that you know what i mean like our intentions mm-hmm. you know it it checks us in a way you know our good intentions and our poor intentions like you know, our strengths and our weaknesses, and we all have them, you know, and the beautiful thing is we all have them. Everyone has a strength. Everyone has a weakness, and the one you feed more does get the best of you. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that, and first you have to realize that before you can even get, and I know, you know, it takes a while to get the mind to, you know, perceive that or have that understanding, sort of say. And then, um, yeah, you understand, okay, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. You're not the only one. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to freak out about the fact that you have a weakness. That's hard because I feel like, you know, part of us does want to be perfect, but, you know, no one's perfect. Right. You know, so you have to, first of all, accept the weakness, that this weakness, if you give it an inch, it gets the best of you every single time. So you accept that fact first. And then it's like, okay, well, then, you know, you, you you start to manage it. You know, you start to 
you know the the my favorite part about all of this <laughs> my favorite part about the strengths and the weaknesses is you can turn your weaknesses into your strength and that's it's not easy to do you know it's easier said than done it's easier said than done but with practice it does happen and it gets easy cuz the I'll be real with you I spent you know like I, like, as I said, I have this illness, right? And the way that I dealt with it was pretending that I didn't. So I dealt with it by when, when, when dealing with other people. So if I had a goal that I was trying to reach, if I was trying to get a movie made, if I was trying to get someone to talk to my screenwriter, if I was trying to um, get an artist nonprofit project off of the ground, whatever it was I was trying to do, I was faking. I would fake, I would fake health in order to try to get it done. And in my latest goal, my latest goal that frankly, I have the most traction on, which is life coaching and cultural and culture and teaching people cultural fluency. Um, that has really only come together when I have been willing to say, I'm a disabled entrepreneur. I'm someone that you will never probably meet in your business life, but I'm, I'm a voice that you need to hear because these are the voices that you are missing from your business endeavors, right? These are the voices of people who, you know, they're disabled or they are, or they're marginalized in another way. They're, you know, they're, they're black or they're Latino or they are, or they're, or they're LGBTQIA or whatever. And as businesses, they are struggling to deal with people who are not like themselves, who do not fit a particular mold that they need their they're accustomed to needing their workers to come to them in without and and also only now recognizing that the market doesn't look like that either the market looks more like people like me like you like the other groups that i've mentioned and they're out of touch with the market as well and so actually by turning my strength and my weakness out of into touch strength, yeah turning my yeah, it's, a lot of things have been overplayed and overdone, and the market is out of touch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the part where you said, you know, it's a voice that needs to be heard, you know, you are right. You are right about that. Because, um, yeah, I mean, who says that kind of stuff? And <laughs> I notice it, and I'm just like, you know, I'll wait. I'll wait for my time. I'll, you know, I'm just being patient. And, um, because it's not like it's essentially a market you can just get into and start moving things around the way you want to. Something that, you know, has to be more strategic. So, you know, with that being said, you just kind of allow the trends to continue to keep flowing like they normally do. People are always going to keep coming up with, you know, out-of-touch ideas, but, you know, and I feel like you can just be way more, <laughs> and that kind of talk, 
that's something it's like yeah you, you need to like connect with people like that people like me and like you know at, at that point you know and then build the mar- find a, a way to build the foundation in the market or you know the the channel mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there's a lot going on in the world is you know like you were saying you know i i in my point of view you know the world is filled with a lot of nonsense it really is and you can't really connect or communicate with people as directly as you would want to because of that so yeah it's not it's something that like i i learned to just observe yeah i don't know that i agree there i'm gonna push back a little I think that you find your niche. You find that you find the thing that only that only you can say in the way that you say it. And while it is true that it will push away the vast majority of people, those who need it, who want it, they will find you. I mean, this, this is, this for me, this is build, this has been a slow build. I've been very frustrated with it. Like I, I have like cursed myself for moving so slowly and getting certain things done. But what I'm really learning is that it is, thank you so much for coming up Spacey, by the way. What I'm really learning is that everything is happening at the time that it's that it's that I'm ready for it, you know, I am prepared for this next step that I I'm you know I've been offered an, a fairly interesting next step, and I am ready and not just that next step, but I'm also ready that if that step doesn't work because of the groundwork that's been laid over time, there are other options that I have if that one doesn't work. Um, so, and, and I'm, I'm trying to, I, I want to, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. The first one, I wanted to go back to relationships for a moment because I, I talked about, you know, per, being purpose driven and how important that is because life happens to us, right? And the ability to find something that is a passion that that engages us i'm not talking about the stuff that numbs us the stuff that we hide from our families to do right that's not what i'm talking about that that those things that just like bring us alive that it's sometimes hard for partners to feel comfortable with us developing developing that relationship with that new thing and sometimes we have to remember that it's that we need to take responsibility for also reassuring them that you know they are still to you who they were but now you are also a person who has passion and and interests and purpose and you want them to like respect and love that part of you as well um but there's this uh article in a on a website called the marginalian it's called 
The Difficult Art of Giving Space in Love, Rilke on Freedom, Togetherness, and the Secret to a Good Marriage. It starts like this. I hold this to be the highest task of a bond between two people, that each should stand guard over the solitude of the other. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. The great Lebanese-American poet, philosopher, and painter Khalil Gibran counseled in what remains the finest advice on the secret to a loving and lasting relationship. Our paradoxical longing for intimacy and independence is a diamagnetic force. It pulls us towards togetherness and simultaneously repels us from it with a mighty magnet that if unskillfully handled can rupture a relationship and break a heart. Under this unforgiving magnetism, it becomes an act of superhuman strength and self-transcendence to give space to the other when all one wants is closeness. And yet this difficult act may be the very thing, perhaps the only thing that saves the relationship over and over. Two decades before Gibran, whose name I'm sure I'm saying wrong, I apologize. At the dawn of the 20th century, another great poet of abiding insight into the turbulence of the human heart contemplated this predicament. In a letter to the trailblazing German expressionist Paula, Mod Paula Modersen Becker, Rainier Maria Rilke offered some spectacular advice on managing the bipolar pull of autonomy and togetherness in a way that assures the longevity of any close bond and protects love from self-destruction. The passages appear in the wonderful poetry and prose anthology, Rilke on Love and Other Difficulties, Translations and Considerations, selected and translated by the scholar and philosopher John Mood. Rilke writes, I hold this to be the highest task of a bond between two people, that each should guard over the solitude of the other. For if it lies in the nature of indifference and of the crowd to recognize no solitude, then love and friendship and are there for the purpose of continually providing opportunity for solitude. And only those are the true sharings with, which rhythmically interrupt periods of deep isolation. When we think about this, think about our lives. How much of our life outside of our homes is spent where people respect our space to just be and think on our own? Almost nowhere. At work, your boss wants your attention. If you're taking care of the kids, they want your attention. If it's dinner time and that's gotta be handled, that's gotta have your attention and you can't really be focused on your solitude at that point. Really, truly, the one person who can give you space to just be 
and just be you by yourself with your thoughts in the moment is your partner. Your partner has the ability to say, why don't you go do whatever your thing is, whether your thing is going out and sitting on the patio and, and, you know, smelling the, the, the winter air or the, or the evening air, or whether your thing is reading a book or whether your thing is going to a movie or just going to your bedroom and closing the door, your partner's willingness to give you that space. It's a beautiful thing. And frankly, it will make you love them more and it will bring you back to them in a more loving and lovable way because you're refreshed. Um, a century before psychologist Esther Perel asserted in her landmark, landmark book on the central paradox of relationships that love rests on two pillars, surrender and autonomy, because our need for togetherness exists alongside our need for separateness. Rilke considers how our cultural construct, how our cultural constructs around what it means to be coupled obstruct happiness in union. It is a question in marriage, he says, to my feeling of not creating a quick community of spirit by tearing down and destroying all boundaries, but rather a good marriage is that in which each appoints the other guardian of his solitude and shows him this confidence and shows him this confidence, this greatest in his power to bestow a togetherness between two people is an impossibility. And where it seems nevertheless to exist, it is a narrowing, a reciprocal agreement which robs either one party or both of his fullest freedom and development. And how often do we see that in relationships? How often do we see it where one person seems to be able to have all the fun and the other one kind of gets to have all the responsibility, but neither party is really taking responsibility for gifting the other one with the space to enjoy that peace and solitude. Um, but once the realization is accepted, and even between the closest human beings, infinite distances continue to exist, a wonderful living side by side can grow up. If they succeed in loving the distance between them, which makes it possible for each to see the other whole and against a wide sky. Therefore, this too must be the standard for rejection or choice. Whether one is willing to stand guard over the solitude of a person and whether one is inclined to set this same person at the gate of one's own solitude, of which he learns only through that which steps festively clothed out of the great, great darkness. There's more, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but um, I, would tell, I would say to read the Marginalian um, on the difficult art of giving space in love, Rilke on freedom, togetherness, and secret to good marriage. Because I gotta believe you, I gotta tell you, I really, really 100% believe in that. 
I believe that we fall in love with people who are separate from us, who are without regard to who we are, who are we gonna become, we meet them and they are their entire selves. And then, and then for some reason in American culture, it feels like we spend the rest of the relationship trying to change them into something that is linked, bonded to us with Gorilla Glue not even separated by different opinions. And I think that diminishes marriage. I think it diminishes the individuals in the marriage. And so, you know, maybe you don't find, you know, that thing, maybe you never had that thing as a kid that you were like super, super excited about. You just kind of tagged along after a sibling, but maybe you're in a marriage and maybe you can start thinking of ways to stand guard over your love's solitude and be willing to allow them to stand guard over yours. Now that's what I wanted to, that's, and that's going to be the end of the marriage talk because I really wanted to get to Black women as late bloomers talk. Many successful Black women that I know of did not become successful until their 40s or 50s. I have spent, <laughs> I have spent uh, uh, approximately three decades before I learned this information, feeling a bit like a failure because society worships youth. You know, we love the idea of the wonderkind, you know, the, the, the 15 year old who has their own production company or the 22 year old who made this big, huge invention. But the truth is, is that, you know, old people got stuff to offer too. And I want to introduce you to a woman called Vivian Stevens. She was an American editor, editor of romance novels, a literary agent, and the founder of the Romance Writers of America. Now, that sounds like, you know, not much of a resume, frankly, until you really think about the fact of a couple of things. A romance novels outsell by a wide margin every other genre of book they are the most they are the profit center of books so when she began at dell publishing um romance novels were the red-headed stepchild Nobody was interested in them. Mostly, mostly um, publication companies bought them from British publishers because romance novels were written by British writers. Regency was super big. So you bought your books from Mills and Boons and called it done. Yes, uh, they did have romance, uh, what do you call it, uh, departments but they would often place junior ed, junior or associate editors in them because they didn't really expect them to do anything with them. This woman almost single-handedly changed that dynamic. She began fostering the careers of American romance novelists. Uh, Sandra Brown, ever heard of her? 
some of you, some of you romance novel read writer or readers will kind of know some of the people and a couple of the people that I mentioned. So Sandra Brown was one of them. Uh, Jane Castle, also known as Jane Ann Krentz, was another bestseller, New York Times, both New York Times bestseller novel novelist. She also she also published the the first.